0: Hey everyone, my name is Nate Baker, and welcome to another episode of the RCC Student Podcast. I'm looking forward to this one. I'm here joined with Matt and Zach. Hi. Hey, everybody. What are, who are you guys? Oh, I'm Matt. And I'm Zach. <laughs> and what do you do here at River Lakes? I'm the senior pastor here at River Lakes Community Church. And I hang out with junior hires. Amen. Amen. I am definitely looking forward to this episode. It is the Christmas season. It is officially December 1st Mm, when this episode Mm. is being released. I'm already playing Christmas music. It's not December 1st for us. It's it's November. November So December's coming soon. And at Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Christ. Mm -hmm. That Jesus, God, came as a man to the world. This is a profound truth and it raises a very interesting question. How is Jesus both completely God and completely man? We're going to try to wrap our heads around that one today in this episode, so please join us. Matt, would you mind praying for us and we'll just get started? Not too Nate. And Father,
1: we do want to honor uh, the truth about Jesus, uh, the incredible truth that we celebrate at Christmas that he came uh, to become like us for our salvation and that we would have no other hope aside from that and so we pray most of all that in this time Jesus is exalted and lifted up and that everyone listening is drawn to worship him as he so richly Mm -hmm. deserves and so give us uh, just sound minds Lord to lead through this conversation and would you bless it to the building up of your church, we yes. pray in Christ's name.
0: Amen. 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 So the first truth that we see throughout the scriptures is that Jesus is fully God. There are claims that Jesus is God all throughout the Bible. One that comes to mind is Colossians one, verses fifteen through eighteen, which says, He, namely, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Now think about that for a moment. You and I and Zach, and Matt, and every person are made in God's image, but Jesus is the image of God. He is the actual image of God. This is to say that that Jesus is God himself. When you look at Jesus, you're looking at the very image of God, the very picture of God. Verse 16 says that Jesus is the creator of everything and that everything was created for him. That sounds like God. Verse 17 says that he is the one who holds everything Mm. together today. He's he's still intimately involved in working. He's not just the creator of all things, but he is the sustainer of all things. Mm. And then verse 18 says that in everything he might be preeminent. This word means surpassing all others. That Jesus is greater than anyone else. The truth of the scriptures is that the supremacy of Christ, the, the truth that Jesus is supreme, he is first. And his supremacy ought to rule first in our lives. It is though he should be the son of, At the center of the solar system that is our life. My entire world should revolve around him, Mm -hmm. Jesus. These verses clearly claim that Jesus is God. Another clear passage that comes to mind is the very beginning of John's gospel, where he writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's John 1, 1. This verse claims three things about this mysterious word. Firstly, that he has always existed. Secondly, that in the beginning he is with God. And thirdly, that in the beginning he is God. So the Bible claims that this word is God himself. Matt, how do we know who this word is? Well, later on in... uh Verse
1: 14 of John 1, it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen His glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, and, and clearly referring to Jesus. Um, and here we see the, this Word, this pre-incarnate Word that was uh, understood from a Greek mindset to be the center of all um, meaning and understanding and John mm-hmm. has the audacity to say that yeah. <laughs> is Jesus um, but I think what I can struggle with sometimes when I'm reading my gospel accounts is to, to kind of put Jesus in a category of well he's not he's kind of human or not really right. human he feels he always has the right thing to say a little he, bit different it just feels different yeah right? and and what I think is helpful is to slow down and say, no, no, Jesus was was actually fully and truly human. Mm-hmm. Um, let me just run through a number of things that the scriptures point out that uh, make it real clear that Jesus was a human like us. We'll talk about how he was human, not like us, mm-hmm. um, but fully and truly human. He was born uh, to the Virgin Mary. Um, he grew physically and mentally. We read in Luke 2, that he increased in wisdom yeah. and in stature. Uh, he lived an ordinary life. Um, for his first 30 years, he lived a quiet, obscure life that we know almost nothing about. Yeah. Uh, he was a carpenter. He was the son of a carpenter. And in fact, when he starts becoming famous because of his ministry, he goes to his hometown, and everyone's like, this guy's nothing special. We, we watched him for 30 years. Um and they took offense at him, it says. Uh, even his own brothers didn't believe in him, didn't yeah. think that he was anything other than just a, a normal person. He, uh, he, he hungered and thirst, I mean, if you just, Jesus is seemingly eating and drinking all the time in the Gospels, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, specifically it calls out his, his hunger after he fasted for 40 days, and on the cross he says, yeah. fulfilling scripture, I thirst. Yeah. Um, Jesus felt uh, emotions, like he uh, had compassion on those who were struggling and hurting, specifically a leper. He was moved with with pity when he healed him in Mark 1. Uh, He certainly expresses anger. He cleanses the temple. That that was righteous anger. He also... um, when the man with a withered hand showed up and they they were testing him to see if he was going to heal on the Sabbath, he says that he looked at them with anger, mm-hmm. uh, grieved at the hardness of their heart. And and he also experienced grief. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm struck most by when his friend Lazarus dies and he's mm-hmm. with Lazarus' sister Mary, and um, it says when Jesus saw her weeping. Uh, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And then two verses later, uh, Jesus wept. Yeah. He felt emotions. He, uh, Jesus in his humanity had limited knowledge. Um, he tells us specifically that no one knows the day or the hour that he's returning. Um, not the angels, not the son, but the father only. We also see that Jesus was tempted, something that that we certainly understand. Uh, That -hmm. was true in the wilderness with Satan, but at many other times as Uh well. He felt pain and he suffered. Uh, Gosh, just look at the horrific accounts of him being tried and beaten, scourged, uh, crowned with a crown of thorns, crucified, And he died, and he he truly died. Uh, Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Hmm. Um, And I just think it's important for us to remember that Jesus really experienced the totality of human existence from being born to dying and really everything in between. And on top of that, uh, this man, despite... Sharing humanity with us had the audacity to say that he was, in fact, God. Isn't that right, Zach? Yeah, that is. And this is something
2: that many scholars and critics of Christianity, students, if you are um, engaging in conversation with somebody, they they may bring this up. Mm. Um, They may challenge this claim. Uh, We're saying, hey, Jesus claimed to be God in flesh. Uh, and there are many people who would say, well, actually, maybe he didn't. Um, and uh, we're going to walk through that. But first, I want to show you two very, very clear places where uh, Jesus just is very clear. He claims uh, that he is God. The first is in John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus is having a conversation with the Jews. Uh, and I will read from verse 56. It says, your father Abraham rejoiced, this is Jesus speaking, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Whoa. That's a big deal. Mm, that's a that's huge a claim. <laughs> Not just a claim to... Uh, pre-existence but a claim uh, if you if you know your your history and, and Exodus I am is is the personal name mm-hmm. of God mm. and the reaction of the Jews in verse 59 uh, is is clear the Jews understand what he's claiming verse 59 they pick up stones to stone him yeah. uh, a couple chapters later John chapter 10 verses 30 through 33 we see another case of this um, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And the author John is even more clear in this case. Uh, Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? (laughs) The Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself God. Whoa. Yeah. Now, these passages might seem like super just gotcha verses for those who deny that Jesus claimed to be God. And I think they are. Uh, If you, however, are really talking with somebody who knows their stuff, what they'll probably do is say, hey, wait a second, the Gospel of John was written pretty late, Mm. like, you know." 40, 50, 60 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, maybe this legend of Mm. uh, his claim to be God kind of evolved over time. And to that, I would respond, well, maybe. But let's look at the earlier accounts Mm -hmm. because it's not just the Gospels. As a matter of fact, the Gospels were probably written after most of the letters of Paul. Mm-hmm. We see in Titus 2.13 and Philippians uh, chapter 2, like we'll see very, very shortly, uh, some very, very clear claims of, of Christ yeah. as God. Yeah. So this understanding that Jesus claimed to be God and that that claim was true mm-hmm. has been understood since very, very early yes. Christianity. It's not something yes. that came up later.
1: Yeah. And so, and Jack, I'm, I feel like I'm thinking of so many places— where the scriptures either hint or directly call out Jesus as God. Whether it's using Lord, which mm-hmm. would have been yeah. the word in the Greek Septuagint that translated the personal name of God. Yep. Uh, whether it's his miracles that demonstrated his uh, divine authority. Uh, whether it was other claims that Jesus makes. Uh, there's there's just... You can't be like, oh, well, if we can just... Uh, solve a few passages, we can yeah. say that, no, Jesus didn't actually think he was God. Yeah. Uh, he and his followers just repeatedly over and over again uh, testify to the fact. Yeah, it's everywhere. Everywhere. Throughout right. Scripture. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. So as we transition uh, to thinking about, okay, so Jesus is fully man. Jesus is fully God. How do those fit together? But before we do, I want to talk just briefly about how Jesus was human, but not like us. Mm -hmm. Um, And in one way in in particular, which is obviously related to the Christmas story, is that Jesus was born of a virgin, Mm -hmm. uh, which is something that none of us can claim. That was something that was unique about him. And if we just think about how that unfolded, right? The, The angel comes to Mary and uh, says, hey, you're gonna conceive and bear a son, call his name Jesus, and she's like, cool. Um, but how's that gonna happen? I'm a virgin, and yeah. uh, I don't plan on dishonoring you with my sexuality. So, uh, the the angel answered her and said, um, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, <laughs> and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy the Son of God. Mm. And the uniqueness of the virgin conception and then birth, I mean, Jesus' birth was pretty ordinary, probably painful for Mary, just like uh-huh. every other birth is, but yeah. what's especially unique about Jesus is, is how he was conceived. Yeah, And I think it's closely related to his sinlessness. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're going to Explain how Jesus' human nature was both descended from Adam and yet untarnished by sin. I, I think we have to come back to the, the virgin conception really as the, the miracle that God does in order for it to be so. Um, number of places, I mean, that we could turn to to point out the sinlessness of Jesus, but he was sinless in action and in word. First uh, Peter two twenty two. He mm-hmm. committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. Uh, I think even in like thought or nature. First um, John three five. That in him there is no sin. Yeah. Yeah. And again, this I think comes back to uh, Nate. I mean, no offense, but you're a sinner.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh. This is so just, Zach, how could you? Whoa. How could you?
1: I I mean, I'm a sinner, obviously. Oh. So, but because we were born in Adam, we were descended from our first parents who fell. And because of that, we, according to Romans 5, inherit um, Adam's guilt for Mm -hmm. his sin and the corruption, the sin nature that inclines us towards sin. And it seems that because Jesus, born of a virgin, doesn't have a human father, um, that he doesn't share the same being born in Adam from a human perspective that you and I all suffered from. And obviously that's gonna become really important when we talk about why is Jesus' humanity, not just his humanity, but his sinless humanity, why is that so foundational uh, to our understanding of the gospel. And just one other thought about his his uh, sinlessness, because this is what people often say, to err is human. Mm-hmm. Mm. And in a fallen state, that is true. Right. Uh, but I think we need to be careful when we assign sin as a necessary attribute of humanity, because mm-hmm. it's not. Adam and mm-hmm. Eve were truly human, and yet... Initially, without sin. We're going to be glorified one day uh, because of what Jesus has done and be truly human and yet without sin. Sin's not a necessary characteristic of humanity. And so it wasn't that Jesus was something different than humanity. He was actually maybe more truly human than any of us because yeah. he didn't have the distorted corruption of sin uh, with him. Which brings up the question of, okay, fully God, fully man. How does that all work How together? In the world. And we, we can call this the incarnation. The theological <laughs> term is the hypostatic union. nay, what does hypostatic
0: union mean? Hypostatic is a phrase that means personal. So the hypostasis. So the personal union of Jesus's two natures, which Matt is about to talk about, that Jesus is, in one person, God and man. Yes, so, Colossians 2.9, that, that,
1: that in him, uh, the fullness of deity dwells bodily, mm. um, but how do we understand the way these natures connect together in this one person? And this comes down to a Chalcedonian creed that was authored by a council that came together to sort out how do we understand the way that these natures all connect. And um, one of the ways that's, I think, helpful for me is thinking through, okay, what are the wrong ways of thinking about it so that we don't mess up? the way we think about how Jesus, two natures connect in one person. Mm -hmm. Um, And to help us with this, I think we should talk about some superheroes. Oh, I love superheroes. Superheroes. Yes.
0: Let's do it. I think it's
1: interesting. Superheroes are kind of who we look to as kind of more than human beings. Superhuman. Superhuman. And they teach us something, I think, about uh, maybe how we could think wrongly
0: of, of the nature of Jesus so, so you're saying these superheroes are not a correct way of thinking correct
1: about it. these are, we're about to look at heresies, heresies. So these are what these the council determined to be heretical because if we misunderstand Jesus to be any one of these then our understanding of the gospel mm-hmm. gets distorted yeah. so the first is the Superman heresy and this is mm. called docetism and this is the belief that Jesus, well, he only looked human, but he was really mm-hmm. just like Superman. Mild-mannered Clark Kent only on the outside, but deep down he was Superman. Puts uh, on the glasses, he's gone. And in this sense, yeah, we, the Jesus doesn't really have a human nature, and therefore he can't be the Savior that the Gospel says that he is. And so uh, Jesus wasn't, didn't just look human, he was human. The other heresy, uh, I'm going to call it the vision heresy. Remember vision with a little mind stone in his head? Wow. Okay. All right. So vision was just a body that they created, right? And he didn't have consciousness until they put AI and this mind stone into Mm. his head. And this is uh, a heresy known as Apollinarianism. And Mm. what this one says is that Jesus had a human body, but his spirit, the immaterial part of him, that was divine. His divine nature kind of like inhabited a human body. Interesting. But here's the thing, Jesus doesn't just provide salvation for our human bodies, he's going to provide salvation for the whole part of us, including the immaterial, and so the the council deemed that a heresy as well. Uh, So so no vision heresies, no (laughs) Superman heresies. Uh, Also, thirdly, no Hulk heresies. Hulk. 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 The Incredible Hulk. Yeah, if you remember in the... the green uh, guy. The big green guy. I forget which Marvel movie it's in, but... It was after I think they got beat up by Thanos or something, and like, War. and Hulk was scared yeah. to come out because mm-hmm. he got beat down so bad, and like in Bruce Banner there's like two persons fighting over control kind mm-hmm. of, um, and this is a heresy known as Nestorianism, which mm-hmm. says that that there are two persons, a, a completely divine person and completely human person mm. that kind of are related somehow and. Um, yeah, that's not right either. One hmm. person, two natures, natures. To no Hulk, and and fourthly, no Spider-Man heresy. This is Eutychianism. Oh, Spider-Man's very cool, though. He's yeah, very cool. No, I, there's no question. Uh, the new movie, <laughs> one of my favorites. Wow, man! Yeah, yeah. multiverse stuff. Very well done. <laughs> well made. But Spider-Man is part Spider, part man. Man, not even part. Spider-Man. They he's blended yeah. together to where. His uh, genetic code is mixed, where he's not really human anymore, or arachnid. He's some mixture. Yeah, and some have thought that that's how Jesus' natures work together. That he's some kind of like middle thing, and uh, that would be heresy as well, because uh, that would he couldn't be our savior if he was something less than fully human, like we are, uh, in order to be our substitute. So, when we're thinking of how Jesus works in terms of being fully God, fully man. One person, two natures. Let's watch out for the heresies. Is there any other thoughts on how we understand that all getting put together? The superheroes are very helpful to remember these, these different heresies.
2: Uh, yeah, we're not I talking about
1: that. parts of natures. We're not talking about mixing them. We're not talking about they can't be separated. So Trying to be clear on <clears throat> just saying what the Bible says. Yeah, yeah. That about clarity Jesus, is full humanity. That clarity is super, deity. super helpful. Mm.
0: So we are saying that this is legitimately one person, Jesus, who has always existed as God, and we'll, we'll talk about that here mm. shortly. Mm-hmm. But he added a second nature to himself. Mm-hmm. So he added something to himself. That being humanity so that now he is truly God and truly human that's really helpful Matt there's a there's a question that Mm -hmm. I am that I'm asked often and Jesus makes a couple of statements this isn't a prayer of his before he's going to to die Mm -hmm. for our sins he says father if you are willing remove this cup from me nevertheless not my will but yours be done and then in Mark thirteen, thirty-two, Jesus says, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. How could Jesus say things like, I don't know the day or the hour that I'll return, um, only, only the Father, only God does. Like his divine
1: nature has to be omniscience, he, uh-huh. omniscient. He can't be anything less than knowing everything mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah, and so when Jesus makes this statement, I think we have to be understanding that is an expression of his human nature. Yes, so he's saying it as a
0: human. This is his yes. humanity speaking.
1: That's helpful. I think it'd be a similar thing in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh-huh. right? His divine nature is always going to be unified in will and purpose uh-huh. with. The, the triune God, um, but in his humanity, he's struggling with the task that is before him. But I think we also have to say that whenever Jesus does something, whether it's uh, out of his human nature or divine nature, Jesus does it because yes. he is one person. Yes. Yeah. yes. One other thing, and I don't know that it's going to come up anywhere else unless I say it here, and then we'll get to yeah. a a. A passage that we have to walk through carefully because some people understand Philippians 2 in a way that I think could threaten the deity of Jesus. And and, uh, Nate's going to walk us through that. But the way that I think we can say it is that the second member of the Trinity, God the Son, at the incarnation, at the virgin conception, uh, a human nature was added to his person. Humanity was added to his person. Yes. And that humanity is necessary for our, sal- our salvation as we'll walk through. But the, the the incredible, the reason why I think we would say this is the greatest miracle of all time. Yeah, that's is, a bold claim. It's a huge claim. Yeah. It's, it's a huge claim considering that uh, a miracle created the cosmos and a miracle raised Jesus from the dead. Those are yeah. pretty big miracles. Those are very big miracles.
0: And you're saying that Jesus being born as a human, fully God, fully man, that is a, that's the greatest miracle. I would argue that
1: with a number of people that I've respected and read because that God would subject himself to adding humanity, not just for the 33 years that he was on earth, but Mm. forever. Mm. Um, So that he always lives to make intercession for us. Mm. Uh, That is a, in my mind, that is a huge sacrifice that a God of the proportions that we know the scriptures teach about uh, would never make, yeah. except that He is a God of incredible humility and love. Yeah. Um, which
0: I think rolls right into what you're gonna say, Nate, about Philippians 2. Absolutely. And that's a that's an important truth that I, I can sometimes forget is that Jesus today in heaven is still god and still man Mm -hmm. he didn't stop being a human when he ascended back to heaven he will be a human for eternity it was something that he added to himself forever which is makes it all the more profound
2: yeah and you know something that i've been struck by as i've been studying this is the claim that the incarnation of christ what we're talking about here how jesus is fully god and fully man. That that is what separates and makes Christianity unique yes. amongst other world religions. Yeah. Now I've said to my students in junior high ministry that other things do that. I've said salvation by grace through faith, uh, or the the fact that we worship a God who is Triune. Uh, those things set us apart uh, from other faiths, but I think that flows out of this truth: uh, the ability for us to be saved by grace through faith, is only possible because Jesus is fully God
0: and fully man. The incarnation makes everything else possible. Mm -hmm. Well, what I'd love to do now is take an in-depth look, uh, just like Matt said, walk carefully through a specific passage that has a lot to say about what we are talking about. And I think this will help us out quite a bit to understand this a little bit better. This passage is actually, many believe it, to be one of the earliest worship songs, one of the earliest creeds Hmm. of the church. It's sometimes called the Carmen Christi, which means the hymn of Christ. This is Philippians 2, verses 6 through 11. Let's read it together. Keep in mind, this is confusing language, and we will (laughs) unpack it together. So let's read this, Philippians 2, 6 through 11. Jesus, who, although existing in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, by being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's let's unpack that. Mm -hmm. So it starts by saying, Jesus, although existing in the form of God, this Greek word, Morphe is the word that is here as form, and it is just packed with meaning. It It means basically that everything that God is, Jesus is. Mm. This is a complete affirmation of the full divinity of Jesus. Simply put, he is God. Mm. Also, the, the verb for existing that comes before it, Jesus, although existing in the form of God. This verb for existing is a present tense. It's an Mm. ongoing type of verb. So Jesus has always been God and has never stopped being God. Mm -hmm. That's very important for us to to remember in this passage. Mm -hmm. The hymn continues and it says that Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. This can also be translated as a thing to be taken advantage of. Think about it. Being fully God means that you deserve everything. Mm. You deserve to be up in heaven with all the power, receiving all the praise and all the glory. But Jesus did not take advantage of what was rightfully his. Mm. It might be helpful to think about it like this. If I was God and if I decided to go to earth, I would want to make it really clear that I'm God (laughs) and that everyone should worship me that's not what jesus did jesus came as a humble baby a baby a little human Mm -hmm. who had to grow up and he had to suffer and he had to go through life like we do suffer more than we do Mm -hmm. he gave up what was rightfully his in heaven the the prerogatives that come with being god the rights and the privileges and and that's what it says next it says but emptied himself By taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men. This can actually be translated, made himself nothing. Mm. I want to be emphatically clear here. This does not mean that Jesus emptied himself of his divinity. It doesn't mean that he stopped being God when he came to the earth. Nothing in this passage suggests that. Mm -mm. What it does mean is that again, he gave up many of the rights and the privileges that Mm -hmm. God deserves to have. This is about humility. Mm -hmm. Remember, this is in the context of humility. And in fact, this is primarily about humility by addition, not by subtraction. It's not about Mm -hmm. Jesus subtracting divinity from himself, uh, getting rid of it, but it's about him adding something to himself, just like Matt made clear. So he takes the form of a servant and he takes on human likeness. He's born as a man and he legitimately is born as a man. Mm-hmm. He, he adds the human nature to himself so that he is legitimately human and yet he is still legitimately God. He is what some people call the theanthropos, the theos meaning God and the anthropos meaning human, the God-man. Mm-hmm. He is the, the God-man. The hymn continues, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So the God-man, Jesus, lived a humble human life of obedience and service, and then traumatically died on a Roman cross. That's a that's a very low point. And if you think about these few verses as, as a V, that that Jesus started at the top. He is God. He has always been God. And then he brought himself very low. He became a man. He lived a humble life. He emptied himself of, of all the blessings that comes with being God, the glory, the praise, so that he could become a man and then die on a cross But Jesus did not stay dead. The V Mm -mm. continues. It goes upwards. It says, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Yeah. My hope for us all is that in the midst of some of this confusion, we can see how precious and how beautiful these truths are. Because this is a passage that the first time that I read it confused me so much. So I read it again, and then it confused me so much. <laughs> And I kept on doing that, and I struggled with this passage for some time until it began to become something that was truly so beautiful for me. And, and instead of being what at first looked like a problem passage for Jesus' divinity, that, that he is completely God, it, it kind of sounds like at first that he's, like he's no longer God, and now he's only human. Yeah. But it turned into a beautiful truth, that, that Jesus is God. He has always been God. That's clearly in this text. Mm. He did not give up his divinity, but he humbly added humanity to himself mm-hmm. that we can have life. Well, we've been talking about some very complicated ideas. Yeah. Why, does, why does all of this matter? Mm. Man, so much. So uh, much. Yeah. Uh,
2: like we were talking about earlier, without the incarnation... Uh, the salvation that we as believers have is not possible. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: But on top of that, in Hebrews chapter 4, we see a beautiful picture of how Christians are today relating with Jesus Christ, who we see in Acts chapter 1 has ascended to the right hand of the Father. Uh, And then later in Acts, we see that he sends his Holy Spirit. Uh, Mm -hmm. So And that's a, that's a big claim. Huge. In every respect, he mm-hmm. has been tempted as we are. Uh, he experienced, like Matt was talking about, full, true humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, to add on to what you were saying, there's a, a little detail about Jesus' life that uh, has impacted me significantly. You see Joseph in the account of Jesus' adolescence. And after that, uh, was he 12 in that? Jesus? No. After that time, Joseph doesn't show up again. Mm-hmm. So at some point between 12 and 30 or so years old, Joseph, the leader of Jesus' family, mm-hmm. and, and keep in mind the Bible teaches us that Jesus did have younger brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, Joseph died, which left Jesus, the oldest son, as the one who was to care for his family.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: He had to probably take on a lot of responsibility way earlier than uh, most men would have to to take care of his mother and his brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, pain and struggle and hardship were, were common. Uh, we see that also in Isaiah 52 and 53. Uh, he, was, he was not something to be admired. He wasn't... Uh, he didn't have form that was beautiful. He, mm-hmm. was, he was a man. Uh, he went through temptations in the wilderness. And I, I was studying the parallels between the temptation of Adam and Eve in the garden and the temptation of Jesus right. in the wilderness. And it's very, very similar. Mm. What's very different, though, is Adam and Eve, they had plenty of other food to eat. And they were tempted by one particular mm-hmm. fruit. Mm-hmm. Jesus had no food to eat. And Satan was like, hey, you're God. Why don't you make these stones bread? This is a parallel to Genesis. This is Jesus, yeah. uh, the second Adam, doing what the first one failed to do.
1: Oh, there you go.
2: And he is experiencing the same temptation, right, to, to, to usurp the authority that God has, and to make His own way. Now, this is even more difficult of a temptation. Like I said, Jesus doesn't have any food. Uh, he's out in the wilderness, no food, no water. He is, he is. I, I love the way that Matthew four puts it: uh, forty days, forty nights, and he was hungry. hmm Yes. Yes. Like goodness gracious. The understatement of, of the injury. Yeah, <laughs> forty days and forty nights without food. I would be pretty hungry, too. Uh, Yes, sir. So Jesus is able to understand our temptations. He's able to understand the pain that we've gone through. And that's something, uh, students, uh, that I want you to understand is that no matter where you are, no matter what sins you've committed or what sins have been committed against you, no matter what pain you've experienced, Jesus is able to sympathize with you. Mm -hmm. He's been in your shoes. He knows what it's like to be human, to be truly, fully human. And He he loves you. He's up at the right hand of the Father, uh, and He is interceding on your behalf, uh, praying to the Father for you, talking to the Father for you. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Hebrews 4.16 is the implication of this truth. I'm
1: really glad you went there. I was hoping you would. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: Hebrews 4:16, "Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, hmm. that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need." Without Jesus being fully God and fully man, this this kind of relation, this kind of relationship wouldn't be possible being able to to go to somebody who truly understands Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and have that person offer us grace and mercy. That's what the incarnation makes possible. That's what Jesus being fully God and fully man makes possible. So you can go boldly with confidence before God the Father and before Jesus Christ uh, and ask for help in your time of need. Ask for mercy and grace whenever you need it.
1: I mean, I think a lot of us, the picture we have of God at times is that He's frustrated with our weaknesses, mm. um, but that's not what it says here. It says that He sympathizes mm-hmm. yeah, with our weaknesses. He knows that we're weak. He wants to help us. Uh, he's not like, "Oh gosh, you need help again." Oh Jeez. man, again, another answered prayer. I'm busy. <laughs> um, and, and here's here's why I think we can be confident of of God's pleasure with us and kindness mm. because the full divinity and humanity of Jesus is what makes him the only qualified Savior. Let's start with this. So, in order for Jesus to make a way for us to stand before holy God, several things needed to happen. First, um, somehow we have to keep the law perfectly in order to stand before God. Well, we can't do that. Yeah, we fail good luck. miserably. We fail out of the womb, and we fail every day. There's no way we can do it. Yeah. And yet Jesus, because he is fully human, is able to keep the law not for himself, but for us. He, he yes. keeps it in our place so that because Jesus was human and didn't sin, uh, that record of perfect obedience can be offered to us as a substitute he can say Mm -hmm. here you you can bring this transcript to the father that's got all a's on it um (laughs) even though it wasn't us who did it yeah Mm -hmm. so he represents us in terms of our obedience Uh, this is definitely uh by one man's trespass many were made sinners by one man's act of obedience many were made righteous romans (laughs) five but then also um He's our substitutionary sacrifice. That Jesus, Hmm. because he was sinless human, could also offer up himself to pay the penalty that we deserve. So not only does he give us the record of righteousness that is required to stand before God, but for all of the the consequences that we owe because of our sin, Jesus pays for them at the cross. Mm -hmm. He is sinless, therefore he doesn't have to pay for any of his own sins. He is able to offer up his life as a substitute. And because he is not just fully human, but fully God, he is able to absorb the infinite wrath of God that our sins deserve. The reason why hell lasts forever for sinners is because we've offended an infinite being. Mm -hmm. And the only person who could pay an infinite price is God himself. And so Jesus is uniquely God and man, so that he can substitute. And he has to be fully human. He can't just be a human body or a human spirit or any of those heresies that we were talking about, the superheroes, because as Athanasius pointed out, what has not been assumed has not been redeemed. So if Jesus isn't fully like you, then you're not fully saved. Only Mm. part of you is saved. And so uh, Jesus, thank God, is fully human and can save us to the uttermost, the author of Hebrews says. Yeah. Yes. Um, And another thing that, because he's the God-man, the Theos Anthropos, he's the bridge builder, or to use Paul's language, he's the mediator. For there's one God and there's one mediator between God and men, The man, Christ Jesus. So in his humanity, he can grab a hold of us. And in his divinity, he is one with the triune God. And he can bring us together because of his unique being, two natures in one person. There's no one else like that, and there's no one else who can do
0: what Jesus does. Amen. So we're wholly reliant on him.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, and that's the beauty of it, right? That yeah. Because of, what, of who Jesus is and what he's done, uh, I, I can stand justified before God, not based on my record, but Jesus. Mm-hmm. I don't have to fear uh, the penalty of my sins. I can enjoy full forgiveness because of Jesus, again, not because I made up for it somehow.
0: And uh, he connects me back because he's the mediator. Amen. I would add just a couple bits of, of application for us. We can often worship Jesus because of what he has done for us. That's a wonderful thing. We should we should look at all the good things that he's done for us and worship him for it. But we should also worship Jesus simply because of who he is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jesus is God. If Jesus was not God, he would not be worthy of our worship. And so it's not just what Jesus has done for us, but it's also who he is, he is God. Secondly, I would just throw in that Philippians 2, the passage that we dealt with, is in the context of Jesus's example of humility. And who is it an example for? It's an example mm. for us. Yeah, it is. It is a beautiful picture of Jesus emptying himself, mm. making himself, nothing considering the needs of others before the needs of himself and sacrificing for them and that is a picture of what we ought to do for each other i can sacrifice for people mm-hmm. i can mm-hmm. i can enter into a posture of humility and and consider myself less than others you don't
1: have to demand your rights in a situation either you can yeah you may feel like <clears throat> i could expect this but yeah yeah. I mean, Jesus could have expected an awful lot yeah. Um, yeah. because of who he was and yet humbled himself. That's a great point. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think of the, uh, the time where he's uh, being arrested and
2: Peter yeah. lops off the servant's ear. And Jesus is like, hey, dude, I could call on my father and he would give me 12 legions yeah. of angels. Yeah. Jesus has the full rights mm-hmm. and authority of mm-hmm. deity, but uh-huh. chose not to exercise yeah. them. Yep.
0: Yes, absolutely. Lastly, I would just point us to the end of that passage we read in in Philippians. It says, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, Mm -hmm. to the glory of God the Father. And I, I want to ask you very simply and plainly, is Jesus your Lord? is he your lord if he is not your lord in this life there will come a day when you'll have to profess Mm -hmm. that he is lord Mm -hmm. anyways Mm -hmm. but that will not be to your salvation it it is a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess every single person will have to look at jesus christ and say you are lord you are lord Hmm. Are you saying that now? Is he the Lord of your life? Or will you wait until the day when it is too late? Zach, do you mind praying for us? I'd love to. Father, thank you
2: for sending your son for our salvation. Thank you for sending your son, who is eternally your son and is also now from the moment of his conception, eternally human. Uh, Thank you for sending him uh, as an example of humility for us. Thank you for sending him to uh, provide healing. But Lord, uh, thank you more than anything else that you have sent him to save us and to bring us into right relationship with you. Something that we could not do uh-huh. on our own. And more than even that, Lord, thank you for who you are. Mm-hmm. This this miracle truly is the greatest miracle of all. The Father sending the Son so that the Son could unite us with himself and bring us once again to God. Mm-hmm. Uh, just mm-hmm. incredible, Lord. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I pray that those listening would take the opportunity, as Nate was saying, to profess you as Lord now, because today is the day of salvation. There, there is no promise of tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I pray that you would teach all of us to humbly submit to your rule and authority as Lord and Savior before it's too late. Yeah. So Lord, we love you and Amen. we thank you, and it's in your name we all pray. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen. You've been listening to the RCC Student Podcast. This next week, as you go through life's various challenges, remember that the God you worship is one who can truly sympathize with your deepest sufferings. We love you guys. We'll see you next time.
2: See ya. Bye, guys.
0: Thanks.